Welcome listeners to Interviews, an audio face podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with urban archaeologist Greg Van Antwerp. Now you may be asking yourself, what is an urban archaeologist? And you wouldn't be alone. Greg will break it down for us in just a moment, so stay tuned. With a history and broadcast and a passion for archaeology, Greg shares with us some of the intriguing artifacts he's discovered and the stories they have to tell. Without any further ado, let's jump right in. Well, Greg, it's good talking to you again. Uh, I know we had a, a conversation a little while ago, and what you do is fascinating, so I'm excited to hear more of your stories. And uh, I gave us a little bit more time to talk this time, so you don't have to rush through anything. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. So you are a uh, urban archaeologist. That is correct. Tell me more about that. Well, you know, uh, an urban archaeologist, it's, it's sort of a, a word that I came up with. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a wordsmith. I love playing with words. My father was an English teacher. And uh, I have always kind of, uh, you know, sort of enjoyed playing with words. And, you know, when I first actually wanted to venture out into, you know, step outside my cramped little computer area here and step out onto the great big internet, um, I did it by creating a blog. And the blog I created was really meant to uh, just teach me how to, you know, how to use Twitter, how to use Facebook. I mean, I understood that there's a great economy coming through the internet. And this was, I, I, this was 10 years ago, not 10 minutes ago, uh, more than 10 years ago. And <laughs> it became my, uh, you know, uh, sort of my vehicle for learning. And uh, so I, you know, I, I was, it was New Year's Eve. I'm like, you know, I, I need, I need to do a, uh, you know, a, a New Year's resolution. And I thought, you know what, I'll start a blog. And, uh, and that's what I did. And I thought, well, I've got to name it something. And I had always been collecting odd and unique things as conversation pieces, things that just sort of interested me, some things that made me laugh. And, but I've always been a, a picker, a digger, a ferret. Uh, and but all those things don't sound terribly complimentary. So I thought, you know what? Uh, what's a better word? And and uh, you know, I I've always wanted to be an ar an archaeologist. I I've always respected what archaeologists do, and and uh, and uh, you know that was probably probably would have been my dream job. Um, yeah. But I never made it to the Sahara to to dig through uh, ancient uh, remains from the the Middle East. Uh, you know. So it, it really was just something I was going to do kind of locally. And, and I thought, well, you know, what? I'm more of an urban archaeologist. And, you know, we don't go into the meaning too much of what urban archaeologist is, especially in these days of the Internet, where everything is right at your fingertips and and everything's already been invented. And the difference is just in the marketing. And uh, so I, I was happy with it. And uh, I just I just went with it. Uh, and uh and it's gone from being what I thought would be a great name for a website or a great name for maybe a limited liability company to uh, actually being just sort of a gnome de plume, just sort of something fun. I kind of not keep to myself, but it's sort of like if someone is, is introducing me because the art of hunting for history is is really not a it's not a job title. Uh, that I thought, you know, it'd be it'd be more fun if people are introducing. And here's Greg Van Antwerp, urban archaeologist. And I'd like people to scratch their heads for a second and go, "What the heck is that?" If you can break in, uh, the ice with an audience by ask, having them present questions to you about what you do, then you know you're starting conversations, and only good things come from conversations. So, urban archaeologist, it was. Um, so 
because of the spelling of archaeologist, I've kind of shied away from uh, creating a, you know, my uh, a billboard over my house with that on it. So uh, it's it's now stories from the attic is is really kind of my uh, what I use for sort of I want to say the business end of what I do um, for the sheer pleasure of it. Yeah, I'm to myself, I'm an urban archaeologist. So it stemmed more from a passion of yours for archaeology and then practicality of, you know, I've. I can find learning. something in my own backyard and right. Kind of... And learning social media and, and kind of getting out into the, both the, uh, you know, the, the cyber community as well as the, uh, physical community. Gotcha. So, I mean, did you go to school for history or are you a historian? Is it just a passion of yours? Like, what do you do? Like, is this your main job? The, uh, no, this is my, I actually have a degree in broadcasting from Buffalo state college. Uh, okay. and, and that was uh, that was the direction it was, uh, you know, I was in 11th grade. And, uh, you know, I, I think if it wasn't for my father kind of grabbing me by the ear because I had come home one day with a, a brochure uh, to become an air conditioning and refrigeration repair technician. And, mm-hmm. and he's like, I, I think my father basically fainted in front of me. He said, what? You're going to college. And I was like, you know, in 11th grade, you don't know which end is up. Uh, and, uh, I feel so sorry for kids today, you know, because of COVID, but also yeah. still having to decide what you want to do for the rest of your life is a real challenge. And, and thus I may have made the wrong decision at, at uh, school one day and came back and he said, no, you're going to college. So off I was to look at colleges and I was like, well, what am I going to study? And a buddy of mine had, uh, interested me in a local community access workshop where he had learned uh, television production, or at least the basics of it. And he invited me down to check it out. And we ended up doing some little skits together and learning how to use this equipment. And, and that was like, you know what? I've always been a critic of television, thinking it could be better, uh, you know, because that's, you know, you know everything when you're 16, 17. <laughs> so I thought, you know what? I'll do that. And I followed that path. Um, and, uh, and I enjoyed my college time at, at Buff State. I, I learned what's most important uh, it, it, that anyone learns at college, and that is to get away from your parents and to get out and make some mistakes because you can't fall too far at college. And that's what I've taught my daughter now. Hopefully, she's going to pick up on it. But anyway, the uh, so uh, my training is in video production. I was a uh, studio manager for a very large corporation uh, running a community studio. And I did that for 28 years. And it really was my passion because it dealt with dealing with the community working with volunteers, a drumming up interest in something, you know, the hardest thing in the world is to sell something that's free. And that's what community mm-hmm. television was in its heyday. And now it's unfortunately bottom shelved. And the company I was working for bottom shelved me uh, right out the door. Uh, but while I was in my kind of waning years, uh, because 28 years is too long at any one company, uh, mm-hmm. I was forming this, this second act and, and looking at my bucket list and going, what are the things that I'd like to do? And so this this passion, my weekend passion of going out and looking for odd bits of history uh, became more and more part of uh, really who I am. And, and it really is my passion. It's my form of expression. And uh, and it's and, and uh, uh, due to the success I feel I've had, it's the universe is sort of telling me this is the right way to go. And so learning how to storytell in video production and teaching people how to storytell in video production has turned into my opportunity to find these stories that are as yet untold and, mm. and to find a way to communicate them to the, to the people that I think should, everyone should know about what I'm discovering. Yeah. So you said your, your, so your history in video production has helped you 
figure out how to, I guess, find stories in what you're looking yep. for? How to put them together. Uh, okay. You know, I, I really enjoy editing. Um, I enjoy, uh, you know, uh, voicing my own uh, productions. I, you know, I enjoy capturing the story of things that are, you know, that are right there out in front of everybody. But if you look left and look right, no one has a camera. Uh, then I guess you're the one that should be, you know, picking up, well, the, you know, the, the movie studio we all now are wearing our hips. Uh, but at a time you had to learn how to use a camera or a camcorder and, and uh, you know, set a tripod and compose a shot focus, you know, frame up, focus, and, uh, and, and then try and represent, you know, the, the story as it was happening through your lens, and then edit it together so that it was concise and interesting. And, and that's part of what's so important today, because, you know, this, the immediacy of what's happening around the world, or just down the street from you, and the ability to capture it, and tell it as a story, is not just as easy as pointing your camera at it. Sure, you can find the the, the one thing, you know, uh, Elvis being dropped off by aliens and capture it <laughs> with your phone and then it goes viral. But there's so much, so many other fascinating things that just pass by like so much water in a river uh, that really deserve the light of day. And that's what I really appreciate, appreciate about what I've learned in video production is, is that aspect of feeling like, you know what, you can do anything with video. If you know how to edit just a little bit, you can tell any story you want and add graphics and transitions and, and make it a tellable story uh, to an audience. And, and even if you can't, the opportunity to treat it as a form of expression, really video production is an art form. You're, you're telling something through your eyes. Uh, your, your synapses are putting those cuts together and deciding where to cut and how, and how it sounds and how you feel about it and then sharing it well, that's just like throwing something up in an art gallery. People will will tisk tisk it, or they'll turn away, or they'll go, "Hmm, you know what? I never knew that before." And and that's what's satisfying to any artist is is a response from an audience, and and that really is what draws me to this to this level at where I am now with with what I'm doing. Yeah, and then there's every story's been told under the sun. It's just it's everyone has a perspective on everything. It can be what's the the difference? Of what two feet? You know. If, you have a different perspective uh, just based on where you're standing. Um, and so I know whenever, because of my history in in filmmaking as well, anytime I watch a movie, I'm always breaking it apart or understanding or identifying how they are telling their story. And so because of your background in, in media production, is that helping, it, has that helped you identify the stories? It, it has, you know, what it, what it's done is, is it's uh, helped me to recognize that really any story is accessible. Uh, you know, sometimes the challenge is, is, is with what many most documentarians find is that, uh, you know, once you, once you find a story, you almost have to be careful because, you know, it could be the next two years of your life. <laughs> and, uh, and that's, you know, that, that's a, that, that's a rabbit hole you can certainly run down. I have to be careful in that regard because of the, the passion that I have for hunting and discovering uh, the stories that I know are as yet untold is also, uh, you know, kind of bordered by the fact that I need to be able to tell the story in, you know, as quickly as possible sometimes, because otherwise the work piles up and the story doesn't get told or that the little piece doesn't get edited. And that to me is, you know, um, sometimes more important than, than unfortunately really delving into the, the real, the deeper story, uh, yeah. the, the true origin of something. But, 
you know, that's, that's why, you know, paintbrushes, you know, that's why the, the, you know, the, the horse hairs on paintbrushes are only so long. Um, <laughs> you know, so you they, have, uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, so you have this history in, in video production that has helped you identify the stories versus for most people, something passing by would just go unnoticed. You've got that trained eye to recognize, wait, there's something here. There's a story here. I want to know what that is. And then your background, your interest in archaeology kind of helps you push or pushes you to dive deeper into discovering and, and understanding what that is. So with that, what do you remember what your first discovery was that kind of like kicked this off? Um, you know what? Very early uh, as as a young teen who was you know not allowed to drink beer, I, I think uh, this may have happened to lots of uh, lots of uh, young young teenage uh, kids uh, that uh, you can't drink beer, but you know, you can collect beer cans um, and uh, you can get pretty close to beer, even if they're empty. And that's what I was doing uh, probably when I was, uh, you know, 13, 14, I was, I was collecting beer cans. And, and that is more of just, again, early picking and digging on the, you know, out, out trips in through the woods with your friends and you find an old rusty beer can and go, that's eh, kind of interesting. Uh, you know, how long has that been there? And that, that that turned into a, a, a good sized collection, a hundred or more cans. But I was also uh, then at that time uh, uh, going to uh, tag sales and buying beer signs or beer paraphernalia. I, I think I had a small museum in my bedroom at one point. I'm sure my parents were suspicious that uh, I might be maybe on my way to being an alcoholic. And and no, not really. But you know, it was my father. One day we were out driving on a Sunday drive, you know, to get the paper, to go buy cider donuts uh, somewhere up Route 22 in New York. And, you know, he we were on the way back and he actually pulled over on Route 22, which is a fairly rural highway, but a busy one. And uh, he said, let's go look for cans. And that totally floored me, uh, you know, to, to have a parent uh, accept uh, what, you know, your strange hobby that, you know, as a kid, you're like, I think I'm doing the right thing. And, you know, you need support or you need someone to go say, you know, if you enjoy this, you know, keep doing it. And, uh, and I remember finding a can of old Bohemian. And I think I still have that can today somewhere. The, uh, but it's, it, it, that meant an awful lot to me uh, to kind of have that, that momentary bond with a parent, which, you know, which seems so obvious, but, and, and maybe is more common with other families, but so sometimes, you know, you, you never really make that connection with your, uh, you know, your folks, or if you do, those are the connecting points you remember. And that, yeah. that to me was, was very special. So, yeah, I like to blame my parents for my, uh, my affection for, uh, uh, picking and digging. And, uh, and I could tell the same story about my mother too. Hmm. So have you like identified your audience as far as like with your production company and with what you're doing? What kind of people are interested in listening to your stories? Well, someone who's a talker like me, um, <laughs> woe to anyone who will give me uh, even 30 seconds of their time, uh, because that makes everyone my audience. Uh, because, you know, the one thing about having a hobby or passion, no matter what it is, and if it is storytelling, even better so, that you lose all your shyness for just being the first one to start a conversation. Uh, you can actually find an in, something related to something I've found uh, and, and just begin talking. Because if you have a passion for it, as I do, and you feel that there's stories that must be told and shared, and you realize that networking is so important in today's society for, make, for making connections, having success, learning something new, uh, that, uh, that this particular 
you know, hobby uh, turned passion turned business uh, for me has, has allowed me to kind of elevate myself to, uh, like I said, I, I would like to have a, a mass audience of, of any age group, um, any shape or size. Uh, and, uh, but uh, typically my, my audiences for my speaking engagements, uh, which I've been doing since I want to say 2010 have been, uh, they, they tend to skew older. I, I'm really offering them a glimpse into their past uh, by sharing things that they're nostalgic for, that they remember. And it's a benefit for me because then they also teach me about how they felt about the things that I'm, I'm showing them. And sometimes they have many nuances that allow me to even expand what I know about what I've found. And that's, that's all part of the process of, of why this is so rewarding. Yeah. So walk me through a process of discovering something. Do you, are you getting calls from people? Are you out there hunting actively? What is a process of discovering an item? And then what do you do with it once you found, found it? Well, you know, the, the process for me, it's, it's kind of like a personal challenge. If, uh, you know, if you're someone who, uh, who wants to hunt, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, ginger root or ginseng, uh, root, uh, if you're a ginseng digger, uh, you know, you put on your hiking boots, you, you know, you, you have your walking stick and you have your sack and you go out looking and you don't know, uh, you know, you only hope that you, you have some success. And sometimes the journey itself is just as enjoyable as the actual successful discovery of something. And that's kind of what it is for me too. You know, I mean, to me, I look forward to, uh, you know, I took, look forward to the weekend, but I also look forward to Thursdays. Sometimes sales begin early on Thursdays or Fridays. And uh, so, you know, looking through the, uh, you know, the, the local websites or web apps that are out there uh, where sales are listed uh, means that, uh, you know, by Wednesday, uh, I'm able to kind of take a look and see what's ahead. And then you're looking at descriptions, you're looking at pictures, and you're trying to get a sense of, is this really a dig? Is this a true opportunity to look into the past and, uh, and, and maybe pull something out. Uh, you know, the older the house, the better. Sometimes it's just a single piece of furniture that I know can produce something that uh, might be interesting. And, and just the wonderment and the curiosity and the, 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 the faint glimpse of, of an opportunity is enough to get your blood up and, and get you looking forward to what's coming up. And, that's, uh, and I think that's so important about having a, a hobby or a, a passion or a, a form of expression. And that is, you know, what's, what's in, what's in tomorrow for me? And, uh, you know, what, why do I need to keep looking forward? And, you know, whether it could be, you know, your, whatever hobby you have that maybe there's a sale on paintbrushes or there's a sale on, on clay or, or whatever uh, it is that, that someone does, you know, it's, it's the same for me. Uh, so, you know, I really look forward to the opportunity to dig and I'm so full of myself really now that, um, I, I love the challenge. I love it when I walk into a sale and someone says, oh, you know, if they know me, they'll say, oh, you won't find anything here. And to me, right. I always say to them, well, you've thrown Watch down me. the gauntlet. <laughs> yeah, you've thrown yeah. down the gauntlet. I have to pick it up. You've challenged me. Yeah. And, uh, and now it becomes a real, you know, now it becomes an opportunity for me. I've got to find something to show to bring to them. And that's, I need to explain, I think what that is what I do at sales. You know, most people go to sales and they are either just curious, just looking, or they're collect something specific, or they are resellers. Uh, they have a, an antique shop they need to restock for, or they're going to work towards that flea market that's coming up on the weekend. And, and so they have a distinct purpose themselves. For me, 
when you're a storyteller and you're just looking for a good story, it kind of changes the pace because uh, I don't need to succeed in the same kind of materialistic sense that others do. I can find just a scrap of paper with a few words on it uh, tucked in a book and, and I'm, I'm done. I'm good. I got what I need. I think I may have my story. Uh, or it could be something that's far more uh, voluminous, uh, like a, a box of old paper um, or something stuck behind a wall. And I spend, you know, an hour and a half, you know, with permission trying to dig it out because I'm sure it's got a, it's sure it's an old piece of an old letter or something that's been crammed in there. So it really is uh, a, uh, a gambit. Uh, it's a, it's, it's a treasure hunt. It's a detective story. You know, it's a, it, it's, it's a mystery to solve and, and it's just pure fun, pure fun. So you're not really going there with a list of things that you're looking for, just something that you see jumps out at you and say, I'm really like, what is this? The, I, you know, the, I've learned that I, to, to look, cause I know where stories are hiding. Um, I do have a list and that the list is in the form of a business card that on the back has a list of what I'm looking for, because oftentimes, you know, you, you want to make sure that you can look at a sale and sometimes it'll say whole house sale, whole house, moving sale, estate sale. And you really have to make connection with the people that are running the sales so that you can make sure that you're looking with permission. You never want to be caught looking where you're not supposed to look. Yeah. So it's very important to build a relationship in, in, in that regard. So much like a documentarian would you know, interview people in a community to find out who has the story or the piece of information that's going to be useful to tell the next chapter. That's what I'm doing as well. So I'm going to the estate sales service, the people have been running it, and I'm, I'm bantering. I'm giving, I'm, I'm creating conversation. I'm complimenting on how well the sale looks or how good the signs are. And I'm working myself into their good graces and then saying, you know, this is what I do. I'm looking for a good story. And sometimes their eyes brighten up and they help me. And, and then by handing my business card and go, oh, you're looking for that or this or that, you know, that really helps because sometimes I've gotten calls, um, you know, before sales even happen, someone saying, you know, I think there's something here you might want to look at. And so, yes, I can go with a list, but oftentimes uh, it's about um, just, uh, you know, walking into a new situation, a, a new home uh, or an old home, as it were. And, uh, and knowing that uh, while everyone is looking kind of straight ahead at what's been displayed out, I'm looking above, below, behind, between, under, and back of, you know, and I'm looking within. And so I'm, I'm kind of pacing myself and getting myself, which usually I'm very excited about a sale if it looks like a really good one. And I'm slowing, trying to slow my pace down so I don't miss anything, which is why sometimes I'm, I'm at sales for two or three hours. The story's there. I just have to find it. Yeah. What's the most unique place that you've found something? Uh, well, one of the more unique places I've found something is, uh, you know, is in an, in attics. Um, you know, they they become catch-alls mm. uh, for uh, for things because what happens is, you know, uh, boxes get shoved up in attics, and what happens is that the box that was already up there then gets pushed towards the back, and then the next box pushes that first box even further back yeah. to the point where it's just forgotten and sometimes the contents spill out and i've often found myself looking underneath the floorboards in an attic especially oh, wow. when the house is from the you know the 19th or the 18th century because you know i i just want to know what what little you know promotion book from what old cigar company or what local business that is long gone maybe may have fallen through the cracks so i've literally spent uh, time in, uh, in the second floor of old houses, 
when there's wide floorboards and you have these gaps between the floorboards that have been filled in by the, you know, just, just what we all leave behind, whether it's uh, dust or skin cells, but sometimes it's, it's jewelry or it's coins or things that just fall through when, you know, we all drop stuff and it all tinks away and we think we can find it. And, and uh, so I, attic floors are a place, but probably one of the more unique places I don't think people ever look sometimes are, uh, desk drawers. And I'm not talking in the desk drawer. I'm talking behind the desk drawer. Mm. Um, so I will pull, if I find a nice old desk, I'll pull the drawer all the way out and I'll look for papers that have been mashed back there. And sometimes I get some really pleasant surprises, uh, really good stories come out of there. Sometimes a, a letter from the thirties. Um, yeah. What's or some- an example of something you found? Uh, well, you know, just this weekend, uh, I was at a, a fairly a fairly new home, and uh, the family was there uh, working working the sale themselves. And I told them who I was. I actually sat with them for a while, handed my card, and they got familiar. And I asked permission to dig, and I found a desk in a in a library. It was, it was a very nice, a palatial home, and I started to to dig through, and I found a, a large amount of papers and the. Uh, the the, um, the owner of the home gentleman came up who's actually a college president. Uh, you know, I said, uh, you know, I think I found something in here. And he said, what, uh, you know, we cleaned that all out. I said, well, behind the drawer. And I pulled out these papers and, uh, and I put them all in the drawer and then, you know, we put it on top of the desk uh, to see what, what had come out of there. And he starts looking through it and he finds a letter uh, from, uh, from his mother-in-law written probably back in the seventies. And he looks at it and he looks at me and he says, you know, this is very important to me. Uh, this is amazing. Uh, and, uh, and it's those kind of bonus moments uh, that, uh, that you really realize that, you know, when, when things kind of point in the right direction to go, yeah, this is, there's, you're doing the right thing. This is, this is yeah. crazy to do this kind of digging, but to have someone kind of just sort of freeze for a moment and go, you know, I, I thought I'd lost this. I thought this was gone. And, uh, and you know, what, what, what made you even think to do this? And I said, well, you know, I know where things are hiding. I know where history is hiding. And that's what the story is sometimes. So, you know, they, they, they said to me, did you, did you get the story that you were looking for? And I said, well, you know, I didn't need to find something. It was really just the experience of working with the family, maybe helping them as they're preparing for a move out of this house to, you know, to, to, to leave with some level of closure it's a little more special than just packing up boxes in a box and, and just heading to the next home. So mm. that is really spiritually, that's very satisfying for me. And it just keeps telling me that, you know, I think I'm doing the right thing. I think this is, this is, you know, not what I was meant to do, but I think this just means that, uh, you know, I, I, I have this gift for being able to help people, strangers in, in the most interesting situations. And, and again, you know, when I wanted to take something from the sale, you know, typically what happens is, oh, just take it. You know, mm. <laughs> you know, and, and so, I mean, uh, you know, that's what I recommend to people when I do my talks is, you know, if you want to, if, if you want to be put in a better position to haggle, don't just go and look and pick and, and feel like, you know, you have to figure out how to make a deal for something, go and help. Um, mm. And, uh, and, and that's what I enjoy doing is finding things that maybe they didn't realize were there and bringing it up to the, the table and say, did you know this was here? I think you can sell this. You know, and uh, and they go, oh, thanks so much, and and thanks for being honest, and you know th- these little surprising things that you wouldn't think someone would say. It's like, oh, you don't have to thank me for being honest. I mean, really? But you know, in the end, when it comes time to actually buy an object, it's like, oh, I, you know, uh, just just take it. Um, <laughs> they're often very appreciative. 
which doesn't help me because sometimes I just want a picture of something. I don't need to buy it. But um, anyway, it, it's a, it, it's great. It, it's those types of things make, make what I do very special and unique. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, there's gotta be very, something about this very therapeutic, not only for you and, and the hunt, because it sounds like it's more about the, the hunt versus actually finding something sometimes. Um, especially in situations where you're able to find something in the, in the case of that letter to then return to its owner that provides them some level of, like you said, closure. Um, and so like everyone, you, you, you found something, you had the hunt and then you were able to return something and it's very therapeutic for everyone. How often does that happen where you're able to find something like that to then return to the owner and in addition do people know now that they know that you do this hire you or ask you to look for, for, for things for them? <laughs> I haven't gotten to that level yet where uh, I'm sought after like uh, some sort of uh, psychic for a murder mystery. Uh, but uh, I feel but, an artifact in this room. But uh, it, it is it, it is something that I relish because, you know, I, I always used to describe it this way. It's kind of like, you know, if you're if you're looking for something and, uh, you know, and you've and it's something that you've lost, you know, that feeling that you get when you find it is really always satisfying. You know, I thought mm. I lost this. Well, think of being able to do that for somebody else. You find something that they lost and then, you know, you're doubly satisfied because now you feel good because they feel good. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it just feels like, you've, you know, you've, you've just closed the loop on something that was sort of open for a while. Again, closure. But, uh, but what you're asking was, um, and I, I think I may have missed the first part of the question, uh, and, and that is, has everyone ever, you know, expected to, to hire me out? I think, uh, as I wish they would, I, you know, that it's not really my expectation that that will happen. But um, here's the thing is, is that, you know, when I go into these sales, it is sometimes to find something to buy, uh, because I, I really do enjoy the physical aspect of history that no one has seen in 100 years, and I get to touch it and hold it and, gotcha. and yeah. look at it more closely. But a lot of times, uh, my challenge, because I dig, I document, and then I purchase, and then research, and then document that. So sometimes, like I was saying with the piece of paper or the letter that I found, it's sometimes that the uh, the story isn't isn't actually buying anything. I, I'm more I'm more likely to walk out with nothing, uh, but still have had a great time. And, and what I will say to estate sales services is that just to let you know, I'm 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 your worst customer, but I'm your best friend. Uh, cause I'm here to help. And, uh, and, and again, that kind of attitude opens doors. Uh, mm. and, and, and I have had estate sales services, like you're, you were asking if they, you know, uh, if, if people ask me to find stuff, they'll often say, um, you know, oh, you know, I, I've seen you before at sales. I know what you do. Can you come up to the attic? We're not letting anybody in the attic, but we'd like to let you up so you can just go ahead and take a look. And, you mm. know, there I am with my flashlight and sometimes my camera. And I'm given private access to uh, to attics or to basements just because they know what a joy I get out of it, and and that sometimes I will bring them up something that that you know was hidden behind or inside something that nobody thought to look, and yeah. that's that's I, that is a a, a place uh, you know it's like it's like finding a parking space in a mall right close to the store you wouldn't <laughs> expect to, but sometimes you uh, you know you get like this sort of special slot and it's like oh I feel. And again, the universe has sort of been nice to me. I feel like I need to give something back. And that that's what that sort of that 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 sort of completing that circle is is what that is. Yeah. And so it's since they haven't reached out to you yet, I'm sure they will at some point get to that point where you 
people are reaching out to you like, hey, I've, I've lost something. I can't find it. Would you be willing to come to my house and look for it? I've, I've, I've offered, but uh, more than often that what happens is though, I get, I get a different benefit from that. I get um, texts or messages uh, from estate sales services saying, I found something. I think mm. you would like this. Um, because one thing that's often very difficult uh, when, uh, you know, clearing out homes, uh, if it's been an estate sale or, you know, or it's a fast move or something is that, you know, these uh, the families, uh, you know, we can't take everything into the next life as we know, yeah. uh, but sometimes we can't take it to the next house. And it's, it's a, it's a real, you know, emotional breaking point for some people to have to give up these things that were so special to them. And then when I come in and I'm saying, well, I'm a documentarian and I want to share this with a community of, of people and presentations. And it's kind of like, oh, thank goodness. You know, there's someone that's going to appreciate my thing that I've been collecting or this, yeah. this thing I've been holding and I can't take it with me, but I can give it to somebody who's going to then share it with other people. And it, and it still will be loved and appreciated. Um, and, and has a legacy unto itself. And that's, that's what I really, I do get that from time to time. I got that this weekend and it's amazing what people come to me with sometimes. And I'm just so appreciative, but, but I, again, this is from understanding social media, uh, marketing and storytelling that, uh, people are clear about who I am and what I want to do. So you're able to find an item, discover its story research by researching and doing all of those things and then i guess you write it down or you document this story of this item and like who owned it or or what they did with it right um and then you're able to share that story of something that had no voice you give it a voice and then people are like oh that's very interesting and you're able to it becomes a very like a, a community experience through just these objects that's a very good way of putting it. Yeah, I, I can kind of give a voice to these these inanimate objects that uh, that really deserve right another uh, another day in the sun. Yeah, what's the most interesting thing that you found in that experience? Oh boy, uh, you know the Here's list. the rabbit on. hole. I'm looking yeah, for it. This is the rabbit hole, right? Um, you know, oh boy. Um, <laughs> well, we can start. I we'll go most recent and we'll go a little bit backwards. Um, so to give an example of something, I got a text Saturday morning and this was the sale I'd already been at on Thursday and it was a cute little house. Um, and there was, there's definitely some interesting history going on there. And that's, again, what I'm trying to do is, you know, you find something interesting within the house and then you start asking questions about who owned the house, how old is the house. So you can start to build because oftentimes there's things in other parts of the house that will help tell the story. And, uh, and so it, it's sometimes it's very difficult. It is much like a time machine I'm stepping into that has a, has a very brief window or portal that I can step through, quickly grab something from the past, and then I have to quickly step back. And sometimes you can't go back because once the sale is over, as much as I might like to go back and go, wait, there were some other things there I wanted to find and help me tell the story. And it's like, it's gone. You can't, you just can't do that. Um, so this weekend, it was a text I got, um, and it was just a, a simple picture of a box with negatives uh, in it. It was a very old box, and, uh, and, you know, not very old, I'm sorry. It was really mid-century, probably 40s. And, uh, and they said, found this, thought you might like it. And so I went back to the sale, and, uh, and the, the owners of the estate sales service said, yeah, we found this, and, and uh, I, you know, they don't know what to do with it. And they know I love photographic negatives. Again, my penchant for media of all kinds, photographs, negatives, uh, you know, books, films, uh, you know, audio. Uh, these are the things that often have great stories within them. And those negatives, I just looked at a couple of those negatives and I 
thought I saw a, a World War II plane. And I thought, mm. this is, this is going to be unique. Um, and it was actually, I, I thought it was probably about 20 or 30 negatives. I, I think I'm over 200 right now. Um, but I brought these back and I have a, a way to transfer them uh, with my phone uh, and process them with my phone, uh, which is rudimentary, and, uh, but good enough for presentations, not for archive work. Uh, but what I have is I'm pretty sure I have uh, photographs from World War II that should have been censored, uh, should not have been uh, able to have gotten out oh, of wow. the hands of censors because it looks like uh, it's, it's a... It's a bomber group and it's a um, an attack group preparing uh, paratroopers uh, for a uh, a launch from I believe Scotland uh, to either you know to to one of the uh, stronghold locations that uh, that Nazi Germany had wow. um, and uh, so right now I'm I'm putting things in order as I'm transferring them and trying to understand and and again it, it has to do with again another part of the fun of of trying to tell the story is you have to all you have sometimes are are well what you can find on the internet for research but also the photo itself so any words or letters or numbers or plain identification um, all become um, you know uh, clues uh, to help you tell the story so there's a there's like a b24 or a, a, a b29 i'm not sure with a, uh, a a nose art on it that says snuffy you know because these this nose art that was painted on these planes was you know like fingerprints uh, that uh, I know that I can look up the name of that plane and search it and I could probably find that plane and possibly find where it was based and also on the plane are numerous uh, uh, stickers uh, marks about how many uh, uh, bomb flights they've made um, how many reconnaissance flights and then also I can see paratrooper uh, yeah. marks little tiny parachutes and so I know that uh, that this plane is probably right now preparing, uh, you know, at this moment that's taken is preparing for another airdrop of soldiers into France or Germany uh, for an offensive. And uh, so, I, I'm, but I'm sitting there with these photos, these, they're just negatives. And I, you know, nobody has seen these for easily 50 years. Yeah. And who knows where the positives are and if they still exist, but having the negatives, I mean, that is, that's like having that's like having the guy that actually carved the Rosetta Stone as opposed <laughs> to having the Rosetta Stone. Like, what did you mean by this? Yeah. Um, it, you really have the original. And, and you know, it's, while it's easier to see a positive, you often are, are limited by the condition of that positive being 50 or more years old. Yeah. Having the negatives, um, it's, it's gold. And so I have a lot of work ahead of me because there's, uh, there's literally over 200 pictures um, here. And, uh, and I have to put them in order and I have to figure out what was going on. And then... I actually have a speaking engagement coming up um, in honor of Veterans Day, where I'm going to talk to people in the community and I'm going to share with them because this is kind of also part of the fun of doing this. And that is to uh, be able to involve uh, a, you know, audience members as part of your research group. Because again, since my audience is older, I may have people who had relatives that were World War II veterans and uh, may have been told stories. So I get the conversation going with this mystery that I bring to them. So rather than being, sometimes bringing a finished story, sometimes I'm bringing a story that, hey, I just found, can you help me with this? Yeah. And it's a different kind of talk. Instead of just listening to a droning voice, you've actually now engaged in looking at these pictures closely and going, 
you know what, I think I know what kind of plane that is. Or I think that's the, yeah, that is the, the Scottish countryside, or that's a Scottish castle. Um, and, uh, you know, so these are, this is why it's such a great uh, uh, community building opportunity, because I really don't want to be the only urban archaeologist out there. I, I, there's too much stuff and it's yeah. too much of it is being thrown away. So I really am interested in, in, in listing uh, as many people who might like to do this uh, with all my tips and tricks of, of how they can have the same kind of success. But yes, but, if, if you found something and like, I can't identify what this is, you share it to a group and like, Hey, I'm, I've found this. I can't identify it. Does anyone have any idea what this is? And just becomes, like you said, a social, right. A social experience, social, social hunt. Right. Exactly. And, and, you know, other, other great finds. I mean, I, like I said, I've got an incredible list. A lot of it is military because, uh, you know, our soldiers, whatever wars were, were fought in, they, they either wrote letters or they brought home mementos. And these mementos often are the, something that was very personal to them, doesn't necessarily come with its own documentary, is just an uh, object or an item, as you might remember the movie Saving Private Ryan, where one of the sergeants, I think, is collecting sand from every beach or, or dirt from every uh, offensive that he was uh, a part of and uh, keeps them as mementos. He'll bring them back so he can, it can be real to him, um, aside from the nightmarish scenarios that he's been forced to go through. He'll have something tangible. Uh, and, uh, and so when we find these things, uh, we have a real challenge. Uh, when I find these things, I have a real challenge in trying to determine it's, you know, the uh, you know, the, the accuracy of, of what it is I think I have. And, and one of these items uh, was a piece of concrete that came out of a box of papers that I knew were from a World War II veteran. But, you know, a piece of concrete amongst papers, you just think that's a paperweight. Yeah. Um, but one of the papers actually wrapped around this piece of rock very neatly. And it told me that it was a piece of Hitler's eagle's nest, uh, you know, taken from Berchtesgarden, Austria. No and way. that's uh, crazy. And, it is crazy. And, and, uh, what's, you know, it, it's just, it's, it, you know, the, the, uh, the level of emotion that, that can well up inside you for, you know, the fact of how we've lost the story of how this was actually taken from this, uh, location by the soldier and what it meant to him that we can't get back. Sometimes, uh, you can try, but it's very hard and, uh, we have to, you know, so, as you know, as historians uh, or curators of the American experience, whatever you want to call it, pickers, diggers, sometimes we have to reverse engineer a history, and and while still remaining true to the actual story, not embellishing, um, but uh, or just sometimes leaving it out there for again audience members to guess for themselves, and and suppose and, and understand and realize they're not being hoodwinked by, you know, hey, it's uh, you know, it, it's a piece of the moon. It has to be. You wouldn't know what it looked like if it, if you didn't know. You know, yeah. so. In this case, you know, I'm, I'm trying to keep to the, the overall story of, you know, history is slipping away from us. The physical history, it's being converted to digital or it's being thrown away. And, you know, there, there's some really good stories out there that are being missed. And, and I want to try and, you know, cast as wide a net as possible to make sure that uh, I, don't miss, I don't miss the really big fish and, uh, and, and can really build people up by giving them some kind of sense of, of hope and wonderment that, uh, that, that you know, not everything is lost. Things can be found and, uh, it's out there. You just have to look for it. So. That's awesome. Um, so I'm sure there's gotta be so many times you found an artifact, uh, and is either the owner of this artifact or have they passed on? Are they still alive? 
to where you can go to them and say, hey, what? <laughs> what is this? Like in the case of that rock with the, the paper wrapped around it, like, were you there? Did you just find this? Did you know what it was when you grabbed it? Yeah. And, and that's that's what's the, the really tough part is, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I'm going to write a book someday and it's going to be called Late to the Party. And it, mm-hmm. it's because, you know, I you end up finding things that uh, that tell you that the person was extraordinary. They they experienced some very extraordinary things. They watched uh, history. Uh, they participated in, in historic events. Uh, they contributed. They gave their lives for it. They you know they or their you know their state of mind they gave to it. Um, you know they may not have died, but they you know some part of them got left behind, and uh, and we're really unable to uh, to go back and and actually ask them what happened because uh, you know really the time to ask them what happened is right after it happened. Uh, you know if you're mm. hoping to get uh, you know the the story from you know, a 90 a year old, um, you know, and I, I have had relatives that were extremely lucid in their 90s. And it is possible. Um, but it is so rare. Uh, and, uh, and, and so, you know, and a lot of times also, I, you know, I really have to be careful about wanting the real story, or the actual story from the person who experienced it, because I also might be dipping into something that was very personal, sure. and intimate to them, and, and maybe none of my business. Uh, so, Sometimes, you know, you, you can dig a little too deep and, and uh, I don't want to touch a nerve or a cord on somebody. So the items themselves often have to sit as, the, uh, as, the, as their own explanation. And, and people are put in the same position that I am, that you just have to, uh, you know, determine what do you, what do you think the story is? And, and yeah. this is when it comes to storytelling. I mean, you know, this is, it's okay to go from, you know, from a fact to fiction, as long as you let your audience know that's what you're doing. Because... Many of the things that I found uh, would make great movies, uh, would make fantastic uh, television series or stories or even episodes of, of a particular series. Uh, and, uh, and, and that is, again, for someone looking for ideas uh, to write stories, to tell stories, uh, all they really have to do is, is do what I did. And that is just walk into an estate sale and start looking around and asking questions. And yeah. it, it presents itself right to you. So you've you you found those two hundred glass negatives that were obviously <laughs> seemed to be very sensitive information at the time that they were taken. Somebody somehow managed to keep their hands on, right? Uh, whatever the story is there, <laughs> obviously. Um, but then, have you found anything that you ever had to like like turn over to the police, for instance? No, never. You know, there's there's all sorts of salacious things that can be discovered. Uh, fortunately, I've never come across a body. Okay. Uh, it might have been one of a, a mouse or a, a rat, uh, but uh, or silverfish. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of little critters that uh, share the same space that uh, that I'm digging in. Uh, but uh, I've I've been fortunate that I haven't uh, haven't come across, as far as I know. Uh, any uh, murder weapons or uh, evidence that might uh, might be useful in, in a uh, you know in a crime drama. I did find uh, actually over the summer, and again it was another estate sale where I, I knew the people running the sale and they recognized me, and I had been looking for an hour or two, and it was actually a, a condo unit, you know, so not really a good old place to dig, but you know there's a story everywhere, so. Um, at the sale, um, I, I actually had found success there. I found a piece, I found another piece of concrete. I don't collect concrete, it just finds me. Uh, but I found a piece of the Berlin Wall um, mm. and, an, and an envelope and, and uh, with a story on the front saying, you know, Uncle 
Fred brought this back in 1989 from, you know, and, and it's a little hard to verify because, you know, samples of the Berlin Wall have been sold for years. And, you know, there was an awful lot of the Berlin Wall uh, to yeah. break up and sell. So you don't really know. But I, I had found a story. I thought it was neat and would make a nice pairing to the uh, the piece of the uh, Hitler's uh, eagle's nest. But uh, here I was about to leave. And and uh, the uh, the person running the sale said, did you look in the uh, the dresser by the bed? And I said, oh, no, I haven't. And he pointed me over to it. And I thought, well, that's kind of, okay, I'll take a quick look. And there were three drawer dresser and I opened up one drawer and it was full of things. And I looked at it in a second drawer, looked at it, you know, some wrapping paper and things. And then the third drawer, I, you know, I caught a glimpse of something wood grain and something, uh, you know, something uh, chromed. And I thought that looks awfully familiar. And, uh, and sure enough, it was a 38 special. Wow. Um, and, uh, and it was, it's kind of like, and when you find a gun on a property, it is, it is a lot like finding poison or a body. Yeah. You really have to stop. And it's not about the fact that it might've been a murder weapon. It's more about the fact that it's, uh, it is extremely dangerous. Sure. Um, and, uh, and the fact that I, this sale was not at the beginning. I was, I was in the late afternoon and, uh, that no one else had found this was really just fortunate. Now the gun was not loaded. But I immediately kind of made sure no one was around. And I called the person who had directed me to the to dresser over. And I said, I found a weapon. And he said, oh. And he said, actually said to me, oh, thank goodness you found it. And I was like, what? And he said, well, we found bullets before. but we So we were looking for the gun and we couldn't find it. So I'm glad you found it. And I'm like, well, me too. Uh, like, the, why uh, did you direct me over to the, the table yeah. if you didn't know it was in there? Yeah, I know exactly, and and uh, but you know this is the problem with sales and the benefit to people who are diggers like me, and that is sometimes you go into these sales and they look like antique shops. Everything is perfectly set and dusted and set up, and it helps them make the the highest dollar for the client. Um, but a lot of times these are time sales, meaning the estate sales service had only maybe a day or two to get into the house to set it up, and the house has to be like broom swept clean. Uh, when they exit, that's sometimes part of the contract. And because the sale has to move on or the bank is closing it or whatever. And so uh, things get missed. And so if, you know, if they need help, yeah, I'm always handing out a card saying, you know, next time you're setting up a sale, rather than wait for me to find it at the day of the sale, why don't you give me a call when you're setting up the sale and let me come and take a look. And I've done quite a bit of that um, with uh, estate sales services. They do call me in and and introduce me to their clients sometimes as this is my urban archaeologist and uh, <laughs> and I love it it's funny it's just it's just so much fun to be uh, you know to be identified as this thing that you love to do yeah. and, uh, and 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 go yeah I guess there's some validation there I guess okay all right yep yeah I'm here to dig I'm here to look if there's something that you want found maybe I can find it but if there's something that you don't want found let me know that too because I'll look everywhere if I'm allowed tell me yeah I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to keep looking. If you don't want to go in a room or any location, let me know ahead of time. Yeah. So do you ever, you've mentioned a lot of these estate sales. Do you ever go to abandoned locations or anything like that to look for artifacts? Um, it, it, it's rare. Uh, I, you know, I, I need to be invited. Uh, the, the thing mm. I don't want to do is put myself in a, in a position where I'm breaking the law. Sure. And there are lots of people that like to do that. Um, I, I was a spelunker in high school. Uh, my high school had tunnels underneath it. And, uh, and uh, you know, the kids, uh, you know, the, in, the, in the group that I was in, uh, which was stage crew, knew all about it and, and handed this information down year after year. And we would go digging 
uh, underneath the school. It was the school was laid out as a two story, uh, almost small college quad with with uh, uh, houses or, or other quads sort of off to it, the north house, the south house. And and you could actually go from one end to the other underground uh, through the steam pipes uh, by the steam pipes and and make your way to like the pool. And uh, and and I think that, you know, that to me was fascinating. So not exactly an, an abandoned location that I love to dig through, but a, uh, a location that uh, was uh, uh, was probably, you know, as a as a teenager, uh, you know, these are the things that you do. But um, as close uh, to Indiana Jones as, as you can get at that time. Exactly. Um, if there's a if there's a garage on the property and the house is, you know, early 20th century or, or older, um, I'll I'll often be looking around that abandoned barn or garage, like around the edges, for the kind of detritus that might have gotten slipped away or fallen through the cracks. Um, you know, found old can openers. Uh, you know, one can opener I found on a on a barn wall uh, that you know just been nailed there for a million years. It said Maxwell Gas and Stanley Steamers, and gave the address of the local shop and then a phone number. It was three digits and then a dash. And then the number two, and uh, and I learned that that is that's how you in the early 20th century. That's how you would call somebody is the uh, you know you you'd ring up you know 192 and then you'd say ring it twice. Um, you'd call the operator and say I want 192 and ring it twice because if you rang it three times it would be someone else's uh, phone or four times it would be someone else's phone. Uh, you know and, and Stanley Steamers is an advertisement. I mean it was just stamped in there, um, but sure enough, I mean you know it's that's a terrific artifact and and really nobody else is going to find that it's it's for me it's that is the the abandoned location that i love to dig through yeah so okay so you you mentioned the more recent story of the the glass negatives that you found so what are more some more of the fascinating discoveries that you found that either were very valuable or historically significant or just intriguing and fascinating to you Sure. Well, just quick correction. They were they were celluloid negatives. I, gotcha. I, I should have should have uh, said that the glass negatives were are still around. Actually, I think you can probably still, if you are into old time photography, you can uh, actually uh, get a box camera and that takes glass negatives and do it the old fashioned way. Um, but glass negatives kind of had their you know sort of ended around the 30s or 40s as as paper celluloid negatives came into being. So these these World War II pictures I'm going through are are clear are definitely celluloid negatives. Gotcha glass is so fragile and, and as much as I love glass negatives they're very hard to find um, but I do I do love them just as much as any other negative um, mm -hmm. but um, uh, among my my favorite finds uh, you know there's uh, there's an, another one that, that you know that is a uh, a great uh, opportunity for uh, a, a story that uh, again and, and really deserves attention a lot of the things I find belong in uh, you know in, in school books, I, I I would have loved to have read this story in in, uh, in high school, and they're really just uh, you know it's it's amazing not to see it. But uh, I I was at a sale, another clear out, great big dumpster, and it's the end of the sale, and and literally the company that's running the sale is actually throwing what didn't sell into the dumpster, and it is mostly junk. But as he's walking out, he has a picture frame in his hand, and he just hands it to me and says, "Here, take this." And, uh, and it was a, a, you know, a lithograph maybe from, I don't know, it could be a 50 or 60 year old lithograph of, of Paris, France in, in the 1600s, you know, something decorative, not necessarily valuable. Um, and I took it and I just, you know, stuck it in my car and then brought it home. And then uh, one thing I love to do, another great hiding place for these items is, is behind picture frames, you know, 
Oftentimes mm-hmm. we, we ourselves, you know, need extra pictures to make a, a, a photograph or a painting fit into a frame sometimes and use it as sort of the batting. Uh, so it is in there firmly. So I took this frame apart to clean it, both sides of the glass, and I took the paper out. And behind was a, a portrait of uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR. Hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, an odd painting. I'd never seen it before. Um, it was not the original painting, but it was a, a, a print of a painting, and it was unfinished. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I'm familiar with George Washington's unfinished portrait, but uh, uh, but FDR, I didn't know there was one. And so I looked at the uh, the inscription, and it was the the artist's name was Shumatov. And I thought, well, let me just look that up. And, and the magic of the internet, you know, and and I find that Madame Shumatov is actually kind of a uh, an interesting individual. She is the last person to see uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt alive. Wow. And uh, I thought, well, why was that? And well, she was painting his portrait at the time. And uh, and she's painting his portrait. He actually exclaims, I have a terrible headache. And then essentially falls over dead just about right there. Wow. Um, and uh, and it's like, I'm like, that's, I didn't know that. And, <laughs> and you know, that that there's an unfinished portrait because that's when he passed away. So this is a portrait of him just before he's dying. I mean, that's amazing to me. And I thought, well, mm-hmm. who's this Madame Shumatov? Well, you know, if you, you dig into the story a little deeper and, uh, you know, she is directed to paint uh, the president's uh, portrait. He's in the, you know, he's, he's in the final years of his presidency anyway, it's 1945, but he's also, you know, uh, in a week from the years of war uh, that he's, you know, he's, he's had to direct uh, and, uh, and, you know, so, you know, you can see the lines in his face, you know, that he's clearly tired, but uh, she's directed to paint this portrait because a, uh, a woman has come to her to say, would you paint the portrait of, of uh, Roosevelt? And the woman is actually, turns out to be uh, Roosevelt's uh, mistress, mm. uh, who he was actually supposed to have not been and not had near. But uh, we start to learn a little bit more about uh, the separation between uh, Eleanor and Franklin Roosevelt, and uh, it goes back many more years, and it's a great story. I won't tell it all here, but it was because uh, the the young lady, uh, or certainly younger than uh, than Roosevelt, um, was a society person, and uh, these people were having their portraits painted by this Madame Shumatov, which is how she knew her. And she said, "Would you do it?" And Madame Shumatov had actually said, "Oh, I know, I know of Roosevelt's politics. I don't like him. Uh, you know, I don't want to do it." And and this, this lady kind of convinces her to at least meet Roosevelt. And Roosevelt is actually very well known for being a flirt, um, being very friendly with the ladies and, and being very gregarious. And, uh, and it's amazing to think that someone who suffered from polio his whole life is, you know, is, can capture the ladies, uh, you know, and, uh, and he actually wins over Madame Shumatov to the point where she's like, oh, you know what, I, I like him. I, I will actually do his portrait. She, uh, you know, somewhat reluctantly agrees and, and, and it follows through with it. Well, goes down there with her photographer. He takes a portrait of a, a portrait of the photograph of the president. And then she's essentially there the next day having arranged the time. And, and this is when this tragedy occurs. It's actually down in Warm Springs, Georgia, which was known as sort of the Southern White House, his sort of Camp David escape. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And uh, so Eleanor Roosevelt is nowhere near here when he dies. Um, actually, it's his mistress that is there and Madame Shumatov and, of course, um, uh, of the, uh, uh, the, the staff. Um, around him. So it's just an amazing, amazing story. And it all, and it all starts with 
the dis just the discovery of an old painting or an old old lithograph, and that leads to this thing. Now, what this uh, unfinished portrait was was actually a giveaway uh, from I think it was Gimbel's uh, that uh, you know on the uh, they got the rights uh, to make copies of this unfinished portrait, uh, and uh, and and they sold it in their store. Uh, so it was something that that was you know it was kind of a, a sort of a might have been who knows how many of these had been uh, uh, printed and given away at the time to honor his passing. Yeah. And Madame Shumatov also said she got rid of those paints. She said, "I will never finish this portrait because I don't believe that he ever got to finish his presidency, so it shall remain unfinished to this day." Oh, that's and cool. it does. So that's really cool. Yeah, and and it, it's you know so I actually have a talk I do on, called "Unsung Women of American History." Because I have, you know, I, I come across these stories that are like, oh my gosh, I never knew this. This is an amazing woman. Uh, and, and this needs to be shared, absolutely shared. So these are the things that make up my, uh, the, the stories uh, that, uh, that I, I present when I, when I speak before an audience. And it's usually, uh, you know, I try and animate it as best I can or sometimes augment it with some uh, documentary, uh, short documentary filming I've done. Um, that either describes the dig or the, the uh, creation or is might be like with the uh, World War II negatives might be essentially a slideshow to some music to to show the progression of what's happening. Yeah. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's that's really what it's uh, what what makes it again so so enjoyable that there are these stories out there. So were you able to identify where the original is of that that painting? Does, oh, it's hang I believe it's hanging. It? It is, yeah. It's hanging in the National Gallery. Um, okay. So it's, uh, yeah. It 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 is a, a, a well known painting. Um, if I if I'd been to the National Gallery, I would have known that already. Um, <laughs> but I guess I missed that sixth grade trip in school. But uh, anyway, me both. Yeah. <laughs> did uh did it have like a limited series number on the um, when you from found? A, from a value standpoint, you know that it's it's interesting. A lot of times, uh, folks are asking me, you know, what's the value of the things that you found? Yeah. What's the most valuable thing? And you know what, I I never actually dig that deep into the value of things you know you, you know we're all looking for the holy grail you know we, we'd like to find the one item that allows us to retire and and not have to worry about uh, paying bills and that sort of thing but you know I, I think that's kind of a that's a pipe dream uh and uh and and I think the the, the daily battle for you know the, those daily battles of, of paying the bills and you know figuring out what to have for dinner and how to raise the kids I think I, I think uh, you know uh, the the finding riches would uh, would kind of spoil that. Um, so there's no I, you know there there may be a value that's assignable to this uh, this piece, mm. but to me it, you know as a as an exhibit you know, for my presentations it's priceless it's invaluable. Um, yeah. So I, I, I there may be I don't, if it's of a limited number um, it's certainly uh, something that is as old as 1945 makes it extremely rare. Um, and, oh, sure. uh, and, and in the condition that it's in, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a treat. Uh, but, uh, so I, th there's an assignable value to it. I'm sure I, I have no idea what it is, 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 uh, also these antiques are just like stocks in the stock market up one day down <laughs> the next, you know, and, and, uh, you can drive yourself a little bit batty trying to figure out where, when to sell and when to buy. Yeah, oh, man. I know we can listen to your stories all the like all day long and I would love to have you back. And if there is any like new discovery you had to just talk over the, the whole discovery process and the turns and the changes that the story takes as, as you discover and, and research into it. I know there was one story that you shared with me before about a Rolodex that you found. Oh, the Rolodex. Yeah. The, uh, you know, I, 
you know, I, I guess if, if I was to get really, really deep with you, I'd say I'm, I'm, I'd have to be a follower of, of Carl Jung, okay. uh, Jung, I should say, um, uh, because it's all about synchronicity, uh, you know, these, these connecting points of, of, you know, you know, this path that we're on and these things that we find. And, you know, I, I find things sometimes that become almost uh, a, a series of things in, in you know, the, I'll find it one kind of object at this place. And then a few weeks later, I'll find another kind of a similar object. And they all seem to connect, you know, Jung had a, uh, a saying that says, he who looks uh outside is lost and, and he who looks inside is found. And uh, I always think that that refers to attics and basements uh, and looking inside and uh, you find, you tend to find yourself, but uh, uh, to not get too deep, um, the Rolodex that I discovered that kind of started uh, this, again, one of these series of, of this, these synchronous events uh, was uh, it, nearby me. Uh, we have uh, the, the uh, what used to be the farm belonging to Skitch and Ruth Henderson. Now, Skitch was a well-known band leader and got an early start or the, with the early start of the, the Tonight Show. Uh, but he's well-known as a uh, musical director and producer. Um, and, uh, and, and it was a while before his, he passed away many years ago, but it was a while before his estate was settled. And I got to go visit his farm. And during a very short sale on a single day, about uh, two summers ago, and uh, and in an office, I love to look through bent desks and find office materials and things like old pens and things that have writing on them uh, that'll help me date it. And uh, sure enough, I found a Rolodex. You know, one of those crazy old Rolodex you might see in a in a Tracy Hepburn movie. Um, <laughs> that, you know, it spins and the cards flop around with the uh, separators for the uh, the alphabet yeah. uh, to organize them and uh, I just took one look at one name on this Rolodex and uh, and and there was uh, who was it uh, Liza Minnelli uh, and I'm like how many Liza Minnelli's could there be and I thought <laughs> this is wild and I just took a look at another name and another name and started to see Regis Philbin and Donald Trump and you know and it wow. just got crazier and crazier and uh, and I thought you know what this is actually a snapshot of all the people he was communicating with or dealing with, or working with, or friends with, and uh, this would be such a joy to have. And you know, this again, the people running the sale weren't interested in in his history. They were interested in clearing out the home and tossing and selling and moving on. So I bought it for just a few dollars, um, and I absolutely treasure it. Um, and uh, have been so tempted to call some of the numbers on there. I was going to ask if you'd. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the number for Trump is Trump Tower. So if I really wanted to call him, you know ask him, uh, you know, uh, some, some uncomfortable question I could. Um, but, uh, the, uh, the, but, you know, even Andrew Lloyd Webber and, and, you know, the, but you can look up a name that you don't recognize and then just research that name and realize that they were some famous blues musician or a pianist mm. or, uh, a, a violinist and, and, or, or an orchestra leader. And, uh, and some of the names you, you recognize, uh, from Syria, from credits you've seen on television show series. And, and that's fascinating. Well, you know, over the summer, I was at another sale um, down in Westport, Connecticut, and found another phone directory from about the 50s or 60s. And, uh, and again, this was at the end of the sale. The estate sales service had invited me back and said, you know, we're clearing out the house. If there's anything else you find, you're welcome to it. And I found these phone directories have been left behind. And, you know, I just looked under the M's and saw uh, that uh, Richard Nixon was in the was mm. it, I'm sorry was in the ends not the M's I'm thinking of Millhouse 
Um, and I thought, Richard Nixon, wow. And I'm wondering, how old is this role? Is this telephone yeah. directory? How far back does it how go? How far back does it go? And, and what's the era? So it can kind of help me date it and then look at the other names I don't recognize to see what they may have been doing. And you know, sure enough, he's got an address there and a phone number for Richard Nixon. And, and I look at the address and it's the same address that he held when he was vice president. Well, this is around wow. 1961. And so, you know, you can date the telephone directory to about the late 50s, early 60s and realize that, okay, I see where this piece of history has come. Again, much like dusting off a dinosaur bone and going, what era is this from? And then and, uh, what, what uh, age is this from? You know, the, and, uh, and, and that's, that's kind of what, what makes this urban archaeology is, is the, you know, the presumption and the research that, to help you tell the honest story about what it is that you found and then bringing context to it as to why it's important. Um, and yeah. is it important to have Richard Nixon's phone number? He's long gone. So is that phone and its number and the address. But it's a time in history that uh, very interesting things were going on and happening. And and we're they're all before our time or when we were too young to remember. So it's a way of kind of doing a little bit of time travel to kind of go back and get a feel for, well, who were the people in this guy's neighborhood? And did, uh, you know, did Paul Newman live down the street and did, uh, you know, Carol Channing work uh, in the office next to him. And, you know, you know, so it's, it's great to kind of fill this sort of uh, interesting kind of uh, diorama with these, uh, with these names and, and these timelines to, uh, to kind of get a, uh, some sort of visual of what, uh, what was actually going on. And sure enough, yeah. I, I found that this past weekend, I found another Rolodex. Um, <laughs> and so I'm up to four now and it's, it's wow. crazy. I, I don't know why I would find another one. Am I just sort of geared to looking now? I mean, I would always look at everything for because I consider everything valuable when it comes to hidden history. There's there's always something that you can find or pull out of if you just you know believe that you can. Well, I mean, after finding that first Rolodex and the names that were listed there, it's almost like as soon as you buy a car, you start seeing that car everywhere. Right, right you know? exactly. So you're identifying, oh, this maybe this Rolodex has <laughs> who is in this one. Yeah, it's like putting on a certain filter on a, on glasses and going, everything looks the same color now. And uh, yeah, and, and that's yeah. that's sort of a uh, a good way to look at it. So what do you what do you do with all of like um, you're obviously able to keep a lot of these artifacts you find. A lot of the times you have you return them back to the owner as uh, the ability to help them close that portion of their back or find closure in, in that way and returning it back to them but for all of the ones that you're able to keep like what are you what are you doing with them are you are they on a shelf somewhere are they like they're being documented it's, it's kind of like a i guess you could say i have kind of a research laboratory right now um i have uh i have uh you know I, at, at any given time if there's a storm coming yes uh my wife and i can park our cars in the garage for safety not that they're there all the time but we can, which means that whatever I have laid out on the garage floor today, um, in, in a few days could actually be, uh, you know, could actually be uh, cleared away and, and set aside. You know, when you collect ephemera, which is really a lot of what I collect, you know, photographs, uh, papers, these are thin things that don't take up a lot of space. So that sure. makes it easier. Uh, and, and because I do take a lot of pictures, as I said, I often leave with nothing uh, but what's on my camera. Uh, and, uh, it, it makes it easier. Um, however, I do, I do confess sometimes that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very wealthy to, uh, back, uh, thanks to my, uh, 
uh, you know, uh, buying stock in Rubbermaid uh, because Rubbermaid containers <laughs> have been uh, the, a savior of mine. So if you were to uh, visit my, uh, uh, if you were to visit my uh, um, uh, my my attic, you would you would see a lot of uh, a, a lot of Rubbermaid containers. Um, but uh, next time I buy one, I'll send you a text and says you're welcome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome for the royalties. <laughs> so for some of these artifacts that you found like the rolodex for instance where it had the phone number and address for you know presidents and vice presidents have you ever considered sending them to you know museums for each of these individuals oh uh, who might want any of that information absolutely yeah i you know it's funny uh you know it is it's much like uh that last scene in indiana jones uh you know he's found the grail and, uh, you know, and, and his, his mantra was always, you know, this belongs in a museum. And, right. uh, but yep. then we you know, but then we see where the, uh, the, the grail goes, it goes into this massive warehouse, uh, where it is, uh, <laughs> you know, blocked away and, and never to be seen again, maybe, uh, you know, yeah. with a government number on it. And, you know, I had found some 16 millimeter films, uh, once that uh, were very, I knew were special because the, they were from uh, the 1930s, and uh, the address was Central Park West. And uh, you know, and in 16 millimeter film for the 30s would would have been like the would would have been like 4K of today. You know, having top yeah. of the line equipment. Um, and one of the names on there was uh, Guggenheim. Uh, they're, they're you know it listed a dinner party, and it was you know the Guggenheims were listed. And I thought, how many Guggenheims could there be? Um, I've got to buy Three, these. Yeah. And sure enough, you know. Um, uh, Solomon Guggenheim of, of the Guggenheim uh, Museum is, uh, you know, with his massive art collection is there at this party. And, uh, and I thought, you know, you know, I think I could probably turn this over to the Guggenheim Foundation, uh, you know, the museum, and, uh, and, and they would probably really appreciate it. And they might also tell me why he was at this party or who else he knew at this party. And yeah. I contacted them and they were like, well, we're, you know, we'll probably we might sell it. Or, you know, we might choose to get rid of it just so you know uh, that, uh, you know, th they were very blasé about it and very uninterested. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, you know, it sounds like they have enough uh, of Solomon Guggenheim's uh, uh, memories uh, to last them uh, a, uh, a Guggenheim lifetime. So uh, mm -hmm. I, I guess they're not interested. And that's kind of what happens sometimes. But, you know, I've made presentations to historical societies of the things that I've found. Um, and, uh, and, and also, like I said, individuals in the community, when I, I recognize, you know, someone is there and, and that's really satisfying, but it's not, um, it's, it, it you know, it, it's more of a, the, when it's a, when it's an obvious connection that I can make, uh, to, uh, to benefit a, uh, an organization, I will absolutely do it. Um, otherwise, mm -hmm. uh, you know what, uh, you know, I've, I've often gotten rid of things. Yep. I've thrown them some things out and then, uh, Few weeks later found something else that makes that toss a real regret um <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, so it's uh, you know so i actually have to be kind of careful with the collection because things that actually that i've found i i haven't found the full story yet and if i let it go i might miss the opportunity to have an even better story with it as an as a physical example but um so for now i have a, a traveling museum uh that i am uh myself of, of these things that i've found and and I think that that really helps to uh, have people connect with the importance of, of historic preservation. And as I start to work on a younger audience, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to planning something with a local college and, uh, and then also with a, uh, a, a children's librarian uh, 
in Massachusetts mm. uh, in 2022. Um, these will be the kinds of things that I think, rather than a slide, uh, will be really uh, make make it really stick uh, for uh, you know bring you know bringing home the importance of of preservation, historic preservation, and storytelling. Yeah, what is your view on preservation and preserving these things and how that should be done? Oh, everything is is uh, Caleb. Everything is is on the precipice of a landfill, and uh, it's all teetering there. And uh, you know, I think we all have to run as fast as we can to the places where where history is teetering, and 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 pull it back from the precipice, and uh, and do what we can to save it. Uh, you know, we're in we're we're in a digital society uh, where you know one uh, you know one shorted out server blade or uh, lightning strike. Uh, or virus uh, can uh, can take out uh, all the things we thought we had forever. You know, there's a there's a great collection of uh, of music uh, that uh, the original tapes uh, that were lost in a fire. Uh, that mm-hmm. uh, you know that I I don't think they've actually ever fully given the list of what was lost. Uh, but I think we'd all be very upset to know that uh, <laughs> that those things are now gone. And I think if uh, yeah. if we realize that uh, every day. Uh, history is being thrown away. Uh, it would make people uh, jump a little bit more and go, you know, I, I'm uncomfortable going into someone's house and looking for history during an estate sale or a tag sale, but maybe I won't feel so uncomfortable now because all it really takes is just one good find and you are hooked like I was. <laughs> In the preservation of history and your efforts, have you heard of the, the effort of 3D scanning historical locations? that people are doing through like drone technology and taking photos of locations for people to then visit digitally if they're not able to go there because things are, as again, they're falling apart and the things that you've found have somehow miraculously managed to last the decades for you to find them now, but it, they will continue to fall apart. Right. The, uh, no, I haven't. That's, that's, that's a new, new thing to me. I think that, uh, you know, the, the idea of, of rebuilding history uh, using, you know, uh, virtual reality uh, and, uh, and, and finding different ways uh, to, to present is, is really about also trying to be as inclusive of, of pos- as possible uh, of an audience, uh, whether that audience is impaired in any way, uh, because I, I, as much as I would like to have uh, give tours of the next estate sale and say, come along with me and I'll show you how to do this. Um, I, you know, I know that, uh, I, I can only, uh, travel so far in a day, uh, to do a talk or, uh, or, you know, zoom is only so interesting to a point, uh, for, for an audience. Uh, but really the, the physical presence is what I love so much. Um, but also there needs to be a, uh, a, a, a virtual aspect as well. Uh, so that, yeah. uh, museums, uh, historical societies can move into the, uh, the future, the next century and continue to interest people by, uh, by building uh, or, or presenting uh, things as they were uh, so long ago, because you know we can't bring them back, so we have to find ways to rebuild them, even if it's digitally. Yeah. So it's a neat idea. Yeah, just that again, having that preservation and right. saving it as many places as you can, because right. servers do inevitably crash and and things inevitably inevitably fall apart. But right. Yeah, just a, an interesting idea. Um, you mentioned Carl Jung, and you're, I'm assuming you're familiar with his his theory of the collective unconscious. Right. Yes. For those who aren't, he believed that human beings are connected to each other mm. and their ancestors through a shared set of experiences. Yes. And we use this collective unconscious to give meaning to the world, which is very ironic with 
<laughs> what you're doing yeah. um, and how all of the things that you're finding, these artifacts that you're finding, you're giving a voice to uh, that meant something to somebody else. You found it. it somehow it found its way into meaning something to you. Right. You discovered its its story. And for those who are interested, you're able to share that with them as well and kind of continuing on its story and the whole point of this podcast is like everything has a story, whether you're a musician, whether you're actively writing or whether you're like you and you're giving something that was presumably, presumably lost to the halls of history and you found it again and you gave it new life and you're continuing to give things new life and for historical artifacts and historical figures that we've Obviously, they've earned the right to be remembered in, in history in some regard, both negative or, or, or positive right. light. It seems like you're identifying things that just that have earned that same respect to be remembered. That's right. Yeah, there's there's a yeah, the distinction is earned uh, through that that collective experience. And uh, and then yeah. we can, you know, we continue to share that because, you know, they they were us, uh, and, uh, and we were them, uh, you know, we are, or they will be, or we will be them in, in the future. Um, you know, we're, we, we all have such commonalities, uh, despite the, the passage of time that give a, uh, uh, give really a deeper meaning to why we're here. And, uh, and, and nobody needs to know the answer. The, the real, uh, mission is to just keep looking. And, uh, and that's kind of symbolic for what I'm doing. I, I I'm looking for something, I know it's out there and I'll find it. And then when I do, I'll know why I was looking. And uh, every day, every time I look, I'm often reminded that there's, that there's a good positive reason why I'm looking. And, uh, and it's not the reason, but it's one of them. And, and so it'll yeah. keep, me, keep me going. And, uh, and, and you know, again, I found my passion. I, I hope everybody gets to find their passion because it is so satisfying. Yeah. And as you mentioned, you're not here to dig up anyone's dirty laundry but that's right if possible you're there to help them to move on yeah exactly by returning something they lost a letter whatever. exactly we, yeah i do not want to in embarrass any ghosts i don't want any retribution for uh for finding someone's uh you know filthy undies from uh 200 years ago um i'm more, more interested in in talking about the quality of craftsmanship of those undies let's say than uh than their state of cleanliness um so yeah no i'm not interested in dirty laundry i'm interested in 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 uh the search for context. the search for context exactly well greg it has been a delight to talk to you again and i would love to have you back i'm i know there are a plethora of stories that you can tell that you would want to tell that would be fascinating for a lot of people um, and for those who are interested in hearing more about what you do where can they go? I know you mentioned there's a lot of talks that you give. Is there any that are coming up soon that people might be able to attend? Is there any information? Well, you know what the uh, the the talks come kind of fast and furious. Uh, the uh, I, you know it's it's more a matter of uh, of following uh, my website, which is foundastory.com. That's easy to spell. It's easy to say. Foundastory.com. And uh, it, and that that's where I post uh, some uh, blog uh, stories, some stories that I that are my favorites, and uh, and then that's where my uh, that's where all my social media links are, at where I, I recommend people follow me there because sometimes I will do live uh, live video uh, from Instagram or uh, uh, or on Facebook, but uh, 
other than that, yeah, no, I, I do. T- I give talks. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to date the program uh, because I have talks coming up. Uh, well, now is the time when when folks are calling me for 2002 uh, presentations. So if there's a library near you and I'm not speaking there, go talk to that library and say, hey, <laughs> Greg wants to talk. Um, yes. Let him talk. Uh, and, uh, and, and I will be there in a heartbeat. Fantastic. And then we'll include all that information in the description below for people to find your website and get a hold of you and whether they want to talk to you or invite you to present and, and speak somewhere. They can do that there. That'd be great. Greg, thank you so much for your time. It was a, a pleasure talking to you and I look forward to talking to you again uh, in the future. And I wish you all the best with your hunt. Thanks, Caleb. I come back anytime you want. Thank you for joining me today for my interview with urban archaeologist Greg Van Antwerp. This has been an audio phase podcast. And by clicking the follow button, it's you as a listener reaching out to us and saying, hey, we like what you're doing. Plus, it helps the channel. And we really appreciate that. Make sure to hit the bell icon to be notified of new releases every Monday. And also, join our Instagram community at Audio Phase Podcast to get notified of upcoming releases as well as access to bonus content. Make sure to join us next Monday for an all-new episode. You're listening to Audio Phase.